Welcome to the ADHD Decoded Podcast, your roadmap to understanding the ADHD brain. Here we offer you brain hacks to inspire and empower you to take charge of your life. Whether you were recently diagnosed, have been coping for years, think you might have ADHD, or are wanting to learn more about the ADHD brain in general, then this podcast is for you. I am your host, Amanda Fisher, and this is brought to you by the Kaleidoscope Society. In this episode, we are decoding parenting. Whether you have kids of your own, are getting close to the point in your life where you want to have kids, or maybe you're a 20-something single prickle like myself and don't have any kids yet. No matter what stage of life that you're in, this episode is packed with helpful hacks to become the boss of ADHD parenting. Our special guest for this episode is Dr. Dawn Brown, known as the MD with ADHD. Dr. Dawn Camilla Brown is a double board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist with two private practice locations in Texas. Dr. Dawn Brown is an internationally recognized ADHD expert and coach, a keynote speaker, a number one two-time best-selling author, producer, and host of the Live with Dr. Dawn show, podcaster of From ADHD to Amazability, and the creator of the private Facebook community, ADHD Supermoms where she helps empower, equip, and uplift women who parent children with ADHD. Learn more about Dr. Dawn at her website, drdawnpsychmd.com. Woo, okay. Wow, Dr. Dawn, could you be more accomplished and you have ADHD? I am floored. Dear listeners, I'm so delighted to introduce to you guys the dynamic Dr. Dawn Brown. So, Hi, Dr. Don. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of ADHD Decoded. Hello, Amanda. Wow. Thank you so much for the invitation. I am so excited to be here. We're so lucky to have you with us today. So we're going to dive right into this episode. First question is, on the topic of parenting a child with ADHD, how can a parent help their child to help themselves? This is a question that we've gotten from a few of our listeners. So in other words, how can a parent empower their child with ADHD? You know, man, I think that's a very good question. And I actually work with my super moms on this very topic. What I usually recommend is first empower the child. You want to praise your child for their efforts, the work they put into the task, their skills, their strengths. You know, when ADHD comes into the realm, if it's managed properly and optimally, then that will likely lead to additional praise, right? Creativity, task production, enhanced abilities to be accomplished. But when it isn't, it can cause an opposite rift between a child and his mother, as well as inner conflicts with the child himself. So typically children can feel a decreased sense of self-worth, self-esteem. They can basically feel very frustrated and even become irritable. And we all know that when those emotions show up, sometimes they're not well-received or sometimes we get in trouble for expressing them. Also, in a child who has ADHD, it is a 30 to all the way to 70% chance that a parent may have ADHD. So let's say in, in certain cases, if mom has ADHD, it's, then important for mom to consider her own management first. 
you know, I always say you want to be a mirror for what you want your child to learn and see. Parenting is not easy. (laughs) So there's not one right way to go about um, helping your child or parent your child to help themselves. You want to meet your child where they are. You know your child the best. You want to create a team for your child, you know, that consists of teachers, um, maybe an ADHD coach, a community that's going to assist your child and position them to win. I would start with those things first and you'll learn along the way what works and what doesn't, but give yourself grace. Next question. Can you talk about dealing with the guilt and shame that parents experience with their child who has ADHD? Oh, yes. (laughs) You know, when I work with my super moms, they expressed a lot of this guilt and shame that you speak of. When you produced something powerful like a child, what you're producing is a part of you. It's an extension of you. You're responsible for that person, right? And so it's natural to understand that moms particularly, and, and fathers, of course, parents in general want to see their children succeed. You know, they want to see their children win. They want to see their children accomplish. They want to see their children successful. And when there's a condition that often accompanies that child's lifestyle and their journey, and they're not necessarily functioning optimally, or they're not meeting the expectations that others have for them, that can be very frustrating. That can feel like guilt and shame. Like, did I do something to cause this for my child? Is it my fault that I have this condition and now my child has it? And I will say for ADHD particularly and any other mental health conditions, there is a genetic predisposition for most mental health conditions. And there's nothing that you could have done. There's nothing you could have done differently or you know, lived different way in order to prevent most of these conditions. And ADHD is one of them. ADHD is a very common condition. As I stated before, I've seen some research studies show 30 to 50% chance and others may up all the way up to 70%. So that's why I say there's a range, um, a high range that if a parent has ADHD, that their child may have ADHD. But we have to let go of that guilt and shame. And so we work through it. We identify what it is. We understand where it comes from. We manage it. And we no longer allow it to be a barrier between our child receiving the help that they need as well. And so that's why I work with my super moms group on. We first deal with these these emotions that them themselves may be living with and dealing with for years, because sometimes these emotions can prevent things from happening, things from, you know, their child succeeding and getting the help that they need. And after we deal with that, it just opens the door very wide for opportunity to take place, opportunity for the child to receive the help that they need, opportunity for moms and parents to understand that this is not their fault, and also opportunities for the greater good for them to maybe receive help and to share their stories with others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times I've come across a lot of different parents who have a child with ADHD and that shame and guilt is totally there. And it's there from a very young age. And I find that more commonly with parents who have a boy because, you know, it's like stereotypically the boys show their symptoms earlier on and they're more visible, whereas girls tend to internalize their symptoms a bit more, which we've talked about in other episodes on our podcast. But yeah, I think one of the keys to success with having a child with ADHD is affirming what they're doing right always. Like that should always be your go-to is affirming what 
their child is doing right. I mean, it's just incredibly powerful what parents can say to their child to reverse those limiting beliefs. I completely agree with you, Amanda. As a parent, and I'm not a parent, I'm a godmother, <laughs> but I do I recognize in some way. <laughs> yes, I'm a parent in some way. And then I, I find that the kids I see, you know, I, I'm not their parent, but I, you know, I, I do feel I'm, I'm a somewhat of a caregiver. I'm a part of their team, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about, that I talk about with my parents and grandparents that I see or aunts or other caregivers that they may not necessarily have a biological connection with the child that they're raising who with ADHD, I tell them, they listen, you can do what you can, right? And the other thing is, you know, your child, this beautiful child that you're raising, they're going to look to you. And the things that you tell them, they're going to be planted as seeds in their lives. Those are the things they're going to revert back to. So if someone else tells them anything different, it is very important that they can actually in their mind already know without even effort of thinking about it, that they are beautiful, they're bright, they're intelligent, they can succeed and speak on their strengths, right? And so it's important for us to commend our children. It's important for us to acknowledge their strengths. And it's important for us to recognize what they can do because those are the seeds that are planted firmly in their minds and their being. And they act out on those things. And so whenever they're faced with a situation, a challenge that they feel that they can't conquer or accomplish it, that hopefully those thoughts and those feelings will resurface and come back and motivate them to go through with whatever they're trying to achieve. So mm-hmm. it's, it's so important. Absolutely. What would you recommend parents do if their child cannot wind down at night? Oh, yes. I love this question. Yeah, I get it all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because I think about my own ADHD. And Mm -hmm. and that's where when my when I do ADHD coaching with my patients, especially my kiddos, I actually look to my ADHD for answers for this question that I constantly receive from parents all the time. You know, having ADHD, I want to first address this that, you know, Usually at night is when we're very creative and we're probably the most active, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whether we're on medicine management or not. You'll find that a lot of people with ADHD have difficulties with sleep initiation. So that's going to sleep. Some with sleep maintenance, that's the ability to stay asleep. And so our minds are just creative a little differently, you know? And so what we have to do is we have to understand how our minds are created so we can address behavioral techniques or in some cases, medicines that can assist us with sleep. I don't start off with medicine management as a psychiatrist for kids. I actually try to avoid medicines when I can. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about uh, medications around sleep or just winding down, like you're saying, okay, I definitely recommend behavioral management techniques. They're 100% effective. You just got to find the right one for your child the right ones, if you will. You want to have a list just in case one or two don't work. (laughs) So one of the common things that I write in my book, the ADHD Lifestyle Series, I have a chapter on meditation. Oh my goodness. And Mm -hmm. when I mentioned that parents are just like, their eyes bulk wide open, their mouths drop wide down, and they're like, meditation for a seven-year-old? I'm like, yes. You know, because when we see advertisements or we just think about meditation, we some of us or many of us commonly had not thought about meditation for kids, but guess what? Meditation for kids works. You hear me, parents? It works. Don't underestimate it. <laughs> Don't underestimate it, Amanda. Yes, you're exactly right. And so 
there's not one way to meditate. And I think that's kind of where the challenge starts is, well, Dr. Brown, how can I get my seven-year-old to meditate? How can I get them to sit still when you're telling me they're winding down and all this? Well, one way is to get them in their comfort zone. We have something called tapping. So a lot of kids like to, (laughs) this is commonly seen in class. Like they may use a pencil and they tap. But tapping is a certain behavior that allows us to be in one with our environment. It reminds us where we are. It reminds us that that we're, we're in the moment. And so meditation does the same. So some of my kids may have a pencil while they're, or something of an object where they can tap while they're working into their meditation time. Maybe a dark space, like a closet, for example, where light doesn't interfere with the moment. You want to make sure it's quiet. So that's why I use the example of a closet. And you want to make sure that you have some type of music in the background. So music without words. You can find a lot of these things on YouTube, even ways to meditate with a six or seven-year-old on YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they just concentrate and focus on a particular thought, because usually when we have ADHD and we're trying to wind down, we have so many thoughts going on at once. Our heart is probably accelerated. We're just really coming down from our day. And so it's hard to catch up with our body and our mind, right? And so we, we want to do things that will allow us to do that. So meditation is one way. You can find ways on YouTube and there's certain apps out there as well. Another is exercise. You know, make sure that your child has some exercise routines. I would say in the early afternoons, You don't want them exercising about an hour, hour and a half before bedtime because that actually may cause them not to want to sleep because they're still hype. But if you work an exercise routine in in the early afternoons of their days, hey, that really works. I also find that art, creative arts, you know, painting, drawing, coloring, those things can also help. It works on that right side of the brain, our creative side, that actually allows us to really relax and become creative in our ways. And so art, anything arts or music related, playing an instrument really helped me. I played the violin. And so that really helped me as well. (laughs) And it helped with my focus when I didn't know I had ADHD. And it also has helped with a lot of my kiddos that I see who may play an instrument, but their medicine is worn off in the early afternoons. And so having these type of behaviors as examples can be helpful. And my final thing it kind of goes along with exercises. Karate. Oh my goodness. I mentioned in my book, I think I spent like a whole two pages on it, Amanda. Karate is like the best form of exercise for kids with ADHD. It teaches discipline. If there's a reward system level, kids who are having problems with finding friendships, guess what? They focus on the art of karate. Friendships come along. They are working towards something, right? They're feeling empowered. So it gives them a sense of power, self-confidence, self-worth. I mean, those are just a few things. It's heart healthy. It's a lot of things karate can provide. So that's kind of my my one go-tos when I mention um, something or an etris- a form of exercise that kids can take advantage of with ADHD that has been found to be beneficial. They can definitely try karate. Next question. What do you recommend to parents to take care of their own needs? Oh, yeah. So that's a question that's less asked, believe it or not. Right? Really? Because... Yes, because, you know, I think the thought behind it, and and I don't think I know because I've asked actual parents because I want to know. And that's why I started my super moms group. The thought behind me asking if I were a parent, me to ask a provider, how can I take care of my own kids before I ask them about how can I help my kid? That thought is like selfish for them. Right. And that's where that guilt and that shame comes from, too. And so I less likely get that question. Mm -hmm. And so my super moms group is formed to address their needs. 
Yeah, we may talk about your kids and I have no problem doing that, but it's all about my moms. It's all about self-care and making sure that you have girlfriends night. How, what are you doing to better yourself? Mm-hmm. How are you relaxing? What's your me time regimen like? Right. And so that is so important. So yes, I think it's a great question. I actually have a script for it. So with moms or and even fathers, listen, fellas, I'm not forgetting you dads. I promise you I'm not. And I've recommended this too, but spa always helps. <laughs> <laughs> that actually perfectly segues into my next question for you. So you have this amazing work with your ADHD super moms. So what about our dads? Like we can't forget about the super dads that are out there, right? We cannot. So listen, the the dads are like, oh my gosh, Dr. Brown, I wish I knew about this years ago. I'm like, yes, you're human. Get a massage. (laughs) Get a massage, get a pedicure, get a manicure. You don't have to get them polished if you don't want to, right? I mean, it's just really about self-care, right? So there's such a thing for guys. So spa. I also recommend like taking a mental wellness day. So this is for parents in general, Amanda, for, for moms and dads, grandparents too. Take a mental wellness day from everything and everyone. Okay. Everything and everyone. So that is your, that's like your sick day. You should have, instead of a sick day, you should have a mental wellness day. You have to take care of your needs first before you can take care of who depends on you. Mm-hmm. Turn off that phone for at least 24 hours. You can do it. You can do it even as a parent. Cause mm-hmm. what you do is you prepare beforehand. Who's going to be responsible if your child needs you or if emergencies come up but you can actually do it. I have some parents uh, last week who went on a staycation in their city and they had the time of their lives while their children were with their grandparents. So that was amazing for them. You know, and there will always be something to do. So you can wait, it can wait. Enjoy your free time. So always remember that when you're trying to plan these things. Plan a me time getaway. So this time you leave the fellas behind guys or fathers and the girls behind ladies. It's okay. You'll be fine. It's all about you and get to know you again during this getaway time again. Okay. With yourself, with yourself. And for those who need to start with one step at a time, tell the family that you will have one hour of me time, at least three times a week to start. Okay. Post this message on your door with you behind it. So even if it's at home that you have no idea how to start this me time regimen, go ahead and start in your own bedroom, for example, put a sign on the door and have your hour of me time, go shopping, eat at a nice restaurant, get dressed up for yourself, go out on a date. Now be careful of COVID, of course. So you may not necessarily want to do that now, but it's something that I usually recommend. And guess what? Even with COVID, you can do the same thing now. Why not get dressed up? And you and yourself and your honey have a date. That's okay. You're taking care of yourself. Do something that you've always been wanting to do for years. I mean, a lot of people, parents are doing that right now. They're exploring different avenues of business. They're, they're coming up with different hobbies and even, you know, restructuring their habits. But they just didn't have time to do that before. And my final recommendation is to, like, start off by completing at least maybe three of these things I mentioned. And repeat every month. Pretend I'm giving you a prescription. This is a virtual prescription for you parents. I'm writing this, okay? You want to plan at least three selfish moments. I'm dispensing once every three days. And the refills repeat every month. 
that is your virtual prescription. You let everyone know that you got your virtual prescription from Dr. Dawn. <laughs> I'm going to give that to my parents now. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's a great, that's great advice, Dr. Dawn. Okay. Next question. So for all of the ADHD women listeners, can you discuss how they can navigate gender expectations? Because typically and traditionally speaking, the women have to juggle the cooking, the cleaning, and other duties of upkeeping the household and generally just keeping it all together. And then adding on either working full-time or part-time because according to catalyst.org, 57% of women participate in the labor force. So this is, of course, also factored into us women keeping it all together and doing it all. So Dr. Don, help us navigate this paradigm. Yeah. So I talked about this this week. I was a part of Share the Medical Mic with other women. And, you know, the key to this question, honestly, Amanda, when I think about it, is effective communication, right? We have to be effective communicators with other people because it first starts with us. So for my women out there, effective communication between two or more persons within the intended message is successfully delivered, received, and understood. That's how you're effective with your communication, okay? It's not one way. It's not expectations. It's not nonverbal because I think sometimes those things get in the way where we're not vocalizing with intent how people can help us, especially we have a lot to juggle. So in other words, the communication is said to be effective when all the parties, the sender and the receiver, in the communication realm, we assign similar meanings to the message and we listen carefully to what all have been said and make the sender feel heard and understood, okay? So oftentimes we don't consider ourselves in third person, but if this were to be true, I believe we would be more intentional, better to understand and successful with accomplishing the task we want not the ones we need to. So for any domestic matters, effective communicating with your intent to make sure that you and your the other person that you're communicating with understands your message by listening and allowing them to speak it back to you and then to understand or acknowledge it, that's where it starts. Let's say, what's for dinner? You're asked. And let's say you're a woman who runs a business, two businesses, you have three kids, you know, you're just doing the laundry and then someone comes up to you and asks you, what's for dinner? (laughs) Hopefully at that point, you've already prepared dinner or you've already talked about communicating to whoever's going to help you with dinner being prepared. And so that's where you can get other people involved. And so if you have kids that are old enough to cook dinner, you want to respond, you know, maybe assign this responsibility every first Sunday. You're already planning the week out who's responsible for dinner that week, who's going to cook what, who's going to set the table, who's going to wash the dishes, but everything will be in a chore list on the refrigerator posted for that particular person, children, husband, wife, partner, whomever. Okay. So that's how you can prepare is communicating that message and prepare early. Use organization with your communication. That also is something that you want to tell your kids who can help you with certain these things of putting it together. So if you're cleaning five of your kids' rooms, for example, that you know, Amanda, you I think you express cleaning, cooking, and other duties, right, of the household, mm-hmm. and those kids could really help clean for themselves, guess what? Give them no more than three to five steps and use organization to help them with that task. 
So structure, time frame, and don't forget to praise them when they're done, right? Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't fall on you. Hopefully these are some examples of being prepared and effectively communicating your message with intent can really help you juggle all that is on your plate. I know you probably weren't expecting that response because I don't think we often talk about communicating as an answer. Mm. You know, I think as women, we come into this world and for some of us, it's expected that we juggle juggle all these things, especially if we're working. (laughs) Now it's the expectation that if you are working, then you have these chores at home for some communities, for some communities. For other women, it's expected that they organize all the family events or have these certain responsibilities but it's not communicated. It's, it's, it's an expectation. I've had similar questions like this before, but you really brought it to fruition for me or, or you know, made it in the forefront. I think that when you mentioned, I think you said 56, 57% of women. 57. Um, yes. I mean, how can women be responsible for all these tasks if they're not delegating some of these tasks in an organized manner to the people that they're doing the task for, or they can help them fulfill the task. So we're put on this earth to bore children and for men to help, right? But we're also put on this place on this earth to help delegate just like any other human being. And so women, we just have to make sure that we do that. Mm-hmm. Listeners, Dr. Don is saying communication is key and we need to delegate. Okay. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Don, can you talk about ADHD adults who are wanting to have a child? They're probably wondering or have thought at some point, will I be able to handle it? How will pregnancy impact my ADHD and overall mental health? How do we make this big life decision with confidence? Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Wow, yes. First, being a parent in my mind, I imagine, is one of the best blessings on earth. And although rewarding, it's a lot of hard work, you know, and I'm speaking as a godparent. I'm speaking as, like I said, a parent <laughs> or a caregiver for kids that I see. First, think about what motivates you to want to be a parent. Can we start there? Let's think about what motivates us to want to be a parent. Will it fulfill you? Will it enhance you? How, how do you feel about letting some of things in your life go or be modified? Can you afford financially? Can you afford time-wise being a parent? Do you have the mental capacity? Self-evaluate if this is something you want to do and are ready to do first. And, you know, the reason why I say that, Amanda, the notion behind this is not to come in a, in a way where I, I'm not a parent, so how dare I ask these questions first, right? But when I'm bringing these questions in the forefront, because one, these questions are not often explored. Secondly, again, for many women, they feel it's their mission, their job to be a parent, but they never really thought about if that's what they really want. And so when they start to think about these things, some of them realize it's not something they really want. And then the other is that, you know, sometimes age or jobs or whatever gets in the way of wanting them to be a parent when they want to be a parent. And so, you know, having these type of questions in the forefront will better prepare you, right? So evaluate how your life is organized now, okay? So after all of that said and done, I think your question is about ADHD adults and having being an adult. So again, ADHD runs in families, okay? And ADHD may likely 
be a part of the family unit. So if you have ADHD mom or dad, again, there's anywhere 30 to 70% chance that your child may have ADHD. Learn about the condition all that you can learn about it. You know, ask questions with your providers, make sure that you're joining with groups, mental health groups. I have a group online for, again, for moms ADHD. I have, you know, so many resources that talk about ADHD, including a blog, a podcast. You want to know about the condition. The other thing is that ADHD, it doesn't wear the same mask with everyone. Everyone's ADHD is different at different times of their lives, actually. So just know that it's not generalized. This is a condition that commonly affects three areas, your attention or your ability to have sustained focus, the degree of hyperactivity, and that's not just physical, but also mental. And then I also like to put impulsivity, well, it is a part of the diagnostic characteristical features, but impulse control. And how I look at impulse control is like a kid running on the street before looking both ways or cutting people in line, or even as adults, cutting people off, not awaiting your turn. And again, there's some notions behind that. Like for adults, I can't, I don't want to forget what I'm going to say. So I'm so sorry. I got to cut you off so I can say it because I'm going to forget it. You know, those are the three big categories. Uh-huh. So when you start to understand ADHD and you understand how to manage it, even being a parent and want to be a parent, potentially having a child with ADHD, you know, there's no guarantees that you will or won't. But potentially having a child with ADHD, you're going to feel at ease because you've identified all of these questions and you'll be prepared for when your child is born. That's what I have with that. And let me tell you something. There are so many, and ADHD is the most common condition in children and adolescents, okay? So there are so many people that have it and are not aware. I told you, I think 8.1, 8.2 million adults, and I think that figure raised to 10 million in something I read recently. But the majority of adults are not aware. And when you think about Simone Biles, when you think about Michael Phelps, these individuals, Tristan Timberlake, have ADHD. They've been vocal about their ADHD. And so ADHD is not a condition where it will change your life's course of what you want. It should never get in the way of you wanting to be a parent. ADHD is a very manageable condition. And I find it to be a ability once you know how to manage it. Mm, drop. The mic, Dr. Dawn. (laughs) Okay. Also, you mentioned your ADHD mom supergroup a few times now. And I just want to say we will link that in our show notes if you listeners are interested in joining that group because it sounds awesome. I want to be an ADHD super mom. Hello. (laughs) Okay. One last question. So for ADHD parents who are from diverse or minority backgrounds, what are additional challenges to be mindful of and recommendations for how to navigate? Yes, this is a very good question. Wow, I'm so happy you brought this up, Amanda. Mm -hmm. This is a question that I personally dealt with because I I am an African-American female, right? And so my ADHD wasn't diagnosed until I was 31 years old. And that does not mean that my background, being a minority or being Black, had anything to do with it. But it has a lot to do with having a conversation with my parents, particularly my father, because my mom passed 13 years ago. So I was diagnosed after my mom passed. You know, Dad, what were things about me that you see in trying to under, because I'm trying to understand why this wasn't caught early enough, right? So I'm just trying to get some information from him. And he was, he was saying that, well, listen, your schedule was like organized. Your mom was on it. 
you are your mother. Like what you're doing now, all on your plate, your mom was the same way. <laughs> and the interesting thing is that when you are come from a family that you are open about talking about mental health issues, but some minority families, and I'm not want to stereotype here, you know, we've had a history of exploring medical possibilities, treatments, management that we just don't trust because of how we've been used per se, how we've been treated, maltreated. And especially, you know, being African-American, I can talk about, you know, the, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. I mean, this is where my people were injected with syphilis and they had treatment, but they wanted to see the symptoms of what this, this, this syphilis could cause. And so, I mean, if you think about that, that's horrific, right? Mm-hmm. And for generations, for generations and generations, I mean, this, this type of ideology about not trusting the medical community in a certain degree has remained, especially when you're trying to quote unquote, change my mind quote unquote, change how I feel. So when we're dealing with brain conditions, it's even more stigma that surrounds this topic. What I would say for for those ADHD parents who are from minority backgrounds, let me me tell you something. When you're told that your child looks like they have ADHD because they're running around in class, they can't sit in their seat. Don't, you know, listen to what people tell you. If a person says they look like they have ADHD, that's just not good enough. You want to make sure that the kids are evaluated. And that's for, really, that's for any background. When I talk about minorities, however, then there's many studies on this, Amanda. There has been a, a, a degree of trauma or traumatic situations that often mask those kids with, who've been diagnosed with ADHD. So if you can imagine if a child who comes from back a traumatic background, they're going to school, they're not doing their work, they're hypervigilant, if someone says something to them, they have a very poor frustration tolerance about it because they can't show it at home because it's traumatic. So they show it in a place where they feel they can. You know, these type of kids may get into trouble. And that's just one of many examples. And so behavior is often misidentified as a child having ADHD. And that's where misdiagnosis can happen. So you definitely want to make sure that if ADHD is there, that it is appropriately, properly, and safely evaluated for first before we make assumptions just because a child looks like they have clinical criteria of ADHD and may meet them. We want to make sure they get to the proper guidance of a, a medical provider or those who are medically trained to evaluate this condition to secure that this is something that they have. And I find that many minor, of, of, of many families of minority backgrounds, this is a struggle that they've been dealing with, is that for some of them, they're told that, so they never go to the doctor because of how they're told that, and also their own internal guilt and shame about it. For others, they're recommended that they get assistance, but they're not dealing with their own diagnosis as well because they're still dealing with the medical realm and how they don't trust it. You know, if it, some of the things that I always don't want to leave with, you know, a pessimistic, you know, <laughs> situation, because I'm a very hopeful person. Mm-hmm. So some of the ways to overcome this, Amanda, is to really be, a, if you're, you know, if you're a parent, be open with your doctor about how you feel. If they can't receive it, you need to just find another doctor. If you're, a part of your story is, I just don't trust white people. I don't, tr- or you're Hispanic, I don't trust black people, whatever it is. 
you know, if that's your situation or your case, be open about it. Let them know that this is why I'm now seeking help because of my own things that are going on within me. And so I want to make sure that you're aware of that so that you can approach this in a way that is very sensitive to how I feel, sensitive to my situation. And that way it won't get in the way for me to receive the best type of treatment and management that I can receive for me or my child. So when a, a parent is open about it, it really allows that therapeutic relationship to develop in alliance to become strong. The other thing is providers. My providers out there who may be parents or just you know providing services, you also want to be as open as the parents are. You know, you want to be culturally competent. If there's um, a cultural situation or religious belief that um, may impact your ability to manage, you want to be open about that, mm-hmm. right? You want to be forthcoming. You don't want to place your own values, morals, and obligations, religious obligations onto someone. You want to understand. You want to listen to what their story is so that you can provide the best type of management that they're comfortable with that can be beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. It's all about listening. It really is, Amanda. We have to listen to one another. And listening is a gift. It's not easy. <laughs> it's a gift. And I think that being a psychiatrist, I've honed in on that gift, on those skills. And I've even looked for ways to enhance that gift that I have of listening. But I have to remind myself and I have to practice it every single day. It's important, especially with ADHD, it's important for me to listen. And so that's for the providers. That's for those who are parents who are trying things out for the first time. Listen so that you can make informed decisions about your child's management. Listen to the information that's given. Ask questions when you have questions. And again, if you're not getting your needs met, you may have to find someone different. But also know that our appointments can be very brief. It may not allow the questions to be answered. So just make sure that you schedule ahead of time. There goes that plan. Make sure you schedule ahead of time how you are able to have those questions answered, you know, with your provider. So hopefully that is helpful in in navigating how to deal with these challenges, especially if a, if a parent has a child with ADHD, because I find that that is the number one, if not a part of the reason why kids are not being seen or why they're still struggling or why they're not being seen by the right person or why the parents are having a hard time in dealing with the condition within itself. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Dr. Don. I'm Yes. It's, I mean, what you were saying about listening, I, I echo that 200%. My mom always says we have two ears and one mouth. So what should we be using more of? I think that is a very powerful, impactful, portable way to express how important listening is. I love that from how your mom put that into words. I think it's very portable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely use that. Spread that everywhere because, I mean, (laughs) I think it could solve a lot of our world's problems if we all listen to each other more. Well, Dr. John, I just want to... One more thing. I'm so sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yes, I apologize. This is my last statement, which I think we're dealing with in a lot of our world. Thanks, Amanda, for bringing that up. Listening leads to being empathetic. And I think that that's one thing that is being tested right now or even being challenged questioned is our level or degree of empathy for one another. 
talking about disabilities or what the world recognizes disabilities, talk about socioeconomical backgrounds, maybe racial things, whatever the situation. You, you triggered my memory when you said that. And that's something I definitely want to include it somewhere in today's message. Oh, don't apologize. I think <laughs> that's a message that, quite frankly, we can't really hear enough. So thank you for sharing that. So with that said, I just want to thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to be on this episode with us on ADHD Decoded. You really just hit home some really amazing ADHD brain hacks. So I just want to thank you very much for for your time and your expertise. Well, thank you, Amanda. I appreciate this opportunity for being on the platform. It goes both ways. You know, when we come together, we're stronger together. And hopefully we can, you know, learn in the process, but also help others. So thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really do appreciate it, the opportunity. To recap this episode, we want to make sure that you're going to take away these three main points. Number one. Empower your child with ADHD by praising them for their good efforts, their skills, and their strengths. To quote Dr. Don, you want to be a mirror for what you want your child to learn and to see. Meet your child with where they're at and give them a team like a coach, teacher, and community that will do nothing but uplift and support your child. Number two, get your child to calm down before bed by trying these techniques. First, try meditating as a family before bed. Trust us, it works. Just try it. Second, try playing music or a guided meditation or use the white noise of a fan to calm down your child before bed. Third, have your child exercise no later than in the early afternoon. Fourth, try having your child do art before bed, whether it be painting or drawing. This can be really relaxing. And fifth, have them try karate. These are just a few things that kids can do before bed to wind down. Of course, there are so many other things out there to try that we didn't mention. Number three, we need to be effective communicators and delegators. This especially goes out to all of the working ADHD parents who are trying to juggle everything. Vocalize with intent how people around you can help you out. Make sure both parties involved in the communication understand the message that's being sent as well as allowing them to speak it back to you to make sure they understand or acknowledge it. Think about what you can do to delegate certain tasks to make you feel lighter. Maybe this means assigning a different family member to do the dishes every day. Ask yourself, in what areas around the house could you use a little bit more help with and then delegate? And a bonus, parents, give yourself a mental wellness day once per month as prescribed by Dr. Don. You deserve it. Thank you for tuning into ADHD Decoded, a podcast by the Kaleidoscope Society. Help us empower more ADHDers by sharing this podcast or by becoming an official supporter on Patreon. Patreon is an online platform where you can support content creators like me. Become an ADHD Decoded patron for as little as $10 and your donation will help us keep this podcast going. A special shout out goes out to all of our generous patrons, Alexander Hay, Alex Oviat, Daniel Ott, Christine Fisher, Jonathan Stevens, Shannon Grace Sogol, and the House of Appreciation. We thank you for your continued support and generosity, and we couldn't do this podcast without you. 
You can learn more about becoming a patron, access transcripts, and everything else on our website, ADHDDecodedPodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media at ADHD Decoded. This is your host, Amanda Fisher. Until next time, be the boss of your brain.